The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm John Hodge, joined by J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing Trey Ford making his first start of the season for the Edmonton Elks. Fajardo facing his former team for the first time. The league finding six members of the BC Lions for a touchdown celebration. The New York Jets waving former CFL quarterback Chris Strebler. And our picks for week 10 of the 2023 CFL season. But first, the Hamilton Tiger Cats parted ways with assistant head coach, offensive coordinator, and quarterbacks coach Tommy Condell during the team's bye week, calling it a mutual decision. Scott Milanovic will take over the club's play-calling duties and presumably run the offense from here on out in Steeltown. Can this change spark the unit? that currently ranks 7th in net yards per game and 8th in offensive points per game. I think it will. I think it will have a positive effect on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Now, I don't think Tommy Condell can be blamed for all this team's problems. I think they're they're not the best constructed roster, and there are other structural flaws that have plagued them over the last number of years. But this is not the first time Condell has you know, been been under fire for the way he's called that offense and some of his lack of creativity over the last number of years. Finally, they're in the situation where they're trying to make a statement and making a change. And there's not a lot of better candidates out there to take over midseason than Scott Milanovic, who's a great cup winning head coach and a guy who has been successful at the NFL level as well recently. So I think he can come in here. He's already familiar with the team based on his offensive consultant role. He can actually get in Hamilton and spark a change here. I'm interested to see how his offense has changed from his time in Toronto. Now with that NFL experience, what we'll see on the field here going forward. It's not going to be dramatic right off the bat, obviously, because he's got to work with some of what's in place. But I think we'll see a few interesting wrinkles, and hopefully it'll spark some change here in Steeltown. Well, I can recall when Scott Milanovic was hired as a senior advisor on this team, there was a lot of speculation that that was to put Tommy Condell on the hot seat. And I remember some people in the organization getting a little frustrated with that, saying, come on, like this is this is irresponsible speculation. This is not something that we're doing just to put pressure on Tommy and Tommy's job is secure. Well, Tommy's currently unemployed. Going back to January, we had a column from our very own Justin Dunk, who will be back next week on the show, by the way, in which Bolivar Mitchell was addressing the media for the first time since signing his contract extension. And in speaking about the offense, him and Tommy Condell were working on together. He said, quote, we want to bring back some things in this league, and I'm not going to obviously give you all everything, but we're going to make the CFL fun to watch again, close quote. He also said of Condell, quote, 
I'm looking for houses right now, and he's trying to kick people out of their houses next to him so I can live next to him so I can just walk over for film. Close quote. Those quotes have aged like milk, my friend. Milk on a hot Halifax day. Those quotes, obviously, as exciting as they were at the time, I was jacked to see what Hamilton was going to do on offense. They've simply been bad. They've especially been bad in second halves when other teams have had the opportunity to make adjustments against them. Obviously, the injuries need to be highlighted, right? Bolivar Mitchell's been hurt twice, Matthew Schultz once. It was nobody's best interest to go out and and I think I think Taylor Powell made his first start in week six, week seven, you know, starting a rookie fresh out of the Mac, and now he's the guy for the next month. Um, the Ticats are trying to tread water with him. He looked, I thought, okay in his first game. I thought he took a bit of a step back this past week in their loss to the Montreal Alouettes. But it was time for change here in Hamilton. And frankly, there's going to be more change if this team doesn't make the playoffs or if this team, uh, you know, at the very least, you know, falls badly short of that home Grey Cup game that is being played there on the third week of November at Tim Hortons Field. This team needs to get it right. This was the first step. I wouldn't be surprised if there's more steps coming down the pipeline if they don't start to turn this thing around. I will say just off the top there, Hodge, I think when milk ages on a hot Halifax day, that's how you get Donair sauce. So I'm not sure that's a bad thing. Like you're you're suggesting. Milk aging on a hot Halifax day sounds like the name of an amazing sea chanty. It really does. <laughs> I'd sing that one. I really would. No, but you're absolutely. Please don't. For the betterment <laughs> of our listeners, please don't. You're absolutely right, though, Hodge. I think the most impactful part of this move is there is no longer any protection for Orlando Steinhauer, right? He has now thrown the first guy under the bus made that change, and now if things don't turn around, if they don't work, there's nobody else to point the finger at, right? He is alone as the head of the team, as the guy in charge of of constructing it, as the president of football operations. So this is a pretty impactful move for the franchise as a whole, and they've got a qualified guy in there who can make some magic happen, but if he doesn't, Scott Milagovich might be getting a, a promotion sooner rather than later and, and taking over as as head coach because Orlando Steinhauer needs to make a change and make a statement that he is still the head coach he was when he took over and they had that fantastic 15-3 and three season. They haven't looked like that team in a long, long time. Well, and let's let's talk about Milanovic's past. I mean, he's a guy who obviously had a lot of success as an OC with the Montreal Alouettes during their heyday. He's a guy who won a Grey Cup with the Toronto Argonauts. And he's somebody who's helped develop a lot of quarterbacks in this league. Josh Smith, our Ticats contributor, wrote a great article about it this morning going through some of the different quarterbacks that Scott Milanovic has had a hand in developing two-time MOP, possibly third-time MOP this season. Zach Kolaris is one of them, but he also had a hand in developing Trevor Harris, even Cody Fajardo, who spent a season under him with the Toronto Argonauts. So if you're the Hamilton Tiger Cats and you've decided this season is a wash, which I think it's too early to do, though at the end of the day, I, I would give them maybe the rest of the summer 
to figure this thing out before going okay and and also depends on the rest of the east division right crumb sanity has certainly died down in ottawa maybe there's a chance to to snag third place there if you're if you're the tie cats i don't see them on the same level as the alouettes right now i certainly don't see them on the same level as the argos i see them several levels below toronto at this point in time despite their loss this past week in cowtown but Milanovic developing a guy like Taylor Powell or whoever comes along as the next guy in Hamilton. So far, it's been pretty clear to me that Bolivar Mitchell is not the long-term answer in Steeltown. Matthew Schilt, I think, is a very serviceable number two. I think he can certainly win you a game or two as a starter, but he's already 30 years old. He's a journeyman at this point. He's probably not the next guy to build your offense around to, to save your franchise. So whoever the next guy is in Hamilton as the face of the franchise, that franchise quarterback, whether it's Taylor Powell or a different young quarterback who's either currently pursuing other opportunities or is maybe with another CFL team, right? A guy like a Mason Fine, a guy like a Drew Brown in Winnipeg, a guy like a, maybe even a Dane Evans. You know, I, I know that there's baggage there with Dane Evans in Hamilton, but maybe a new regime could change that moving forward. Dane Evans is certainly better than anything they got right now in steel town so to me this move was justified tommy condell i should say has a great reputation in the cfl as a person this is something that i know was very difficult for alondo steinauer to do this is speculation it also wouldn't surprise me if this decision came from above orlando steinauer and he was simply the one to pull the trigger but this is also a move that i think for football reasons was justified just as the replacement of stephen mcadoo was in Edmonton. And I'll also say this just on a league level, we've seen attendance up this year about, I think it's up about 6%. We've also seen TV ratings go up this year, which is great. The best way to continue that trend for the league wide health of the CFL is more points, more offense, more passing, bigger plays. And so I think it speaks volumes that two of the league's nine offensive coordinators have essentially been fired. One demoted, one mutually parting of the ways. I'm going to go ahead and use the word fired. Have been fired over the last couple of weeks as teams look for more points, more offense, more big plays, more excitement. Which, if you're a casual fan of the CFL who just wants to see big plays, is is good news. That fans aren't sticking with offensive coordinators who evidently are not getting the job done. Well, speaking of a lack of excitement, Chad Kelly suffered an ankle injury during the second quarter of Toronto's snooze fest of a 20-7 loss to the Calgary Stampeders and did not return to the game. Rookie quarterback Cameron Dukes finished the game for the Argos and will start this week if Kelly is unable to play. Did the Argos handle this situation correctly, Hodge? I think they did from a Chad Kelly perspective. Kelly, obviously, I think it's clear at this point that he gives the Argos the best chance to win. If that already wasn't clear, it certainly is now. I think that Chad Kelly could certainly lead this team to a second Grey Cup. The, the team is that good. Chad Kelly is that good. I think he's proven at this point through seven starts, certainly the first six, that he's the real deal. I'm very bullish on the Argos and the fact that they're not going to get a lot of push, I don't think, down the stretch for that East Division title helps that. Yes, the Alouettes won this past week. They're technically four points behind the Argos, but Toronto already has the first head-to-head -head game 
against Montreal. I don't think that the Alouettes are seriously going to push the Argos for that first place position as much as I will fully give credit to the Alouettes last they've won two games in a row and they're finally protecting Cody Fajardo efficiently and effectively something that frankly I did not think they were going to be able to do so full kudos to Jason Moss and the Alouettes for that getting back to the Toronto Argonauts the thing that I will criticize is simply the play of Cameron Dukes I mean he is their second quarterback on the depth chart they did not go out this offseason and bring in a veteran backup a move that did get some criticism Personally, I was okay with it, largely for the reasons we've talked about on the show, which is CFL teams needing to embrace more young quarterbacks, give them an opportunity, right? You don't get an opportunity to show and prove who you are until you get that opportunity to play. And so it's exciting, right? When young quarterbacks, we need more young quarterbacks in this league. We need to be developing young quarterbacks in this league. It's exciting when they get a chance to play. With that said, Cameron Dukes was atrocious. I'm not saying he's an atrocious quarterback or he'll never be a good quarterback. I'm saying in that one particular game, he was atrocious. He had one interception. If Calgary's defense had better hands, he would have thrown a minimum of three. There were two complete gimmies that the Stampeders dropped, and it was abundantly clear that Calgary knew the Argonauts were not going to score another point because their offensive play calling with Dedrick Mills in the backfield became so conservative. I thought Daniel Smith was calling the plays. It was wild. Now, smart strategy, right? You know you're not going to turn the ball over, which I think would be the only thing that would have given Toronto an opportunity to get back into the game. But uh, again, I I get playing the long game. The CFL season is a marathon, not a sprint. We just saw the BC Lions bring back Vernon Adams Jr. slowly to ensure he's at full health. I think the Argos doing the same thing is smart. But in the short term, boy, you would have liked to see more from their backup quarterback. Yeah, that game to me was a little bit like cough medicine, right? It's probably the right decision in the long run to sit out Chad Kelly to make sure that ankle is healthy because, frankly, they don't have a season without him. But boy, oh boy, was it rough going down, right? It was not an enjoyable football game for the viewer, especially once Kelly went out and If you're looking for a poster child for the CFL's current struggles to find young quarterbacks and bring in prospects in this era where there is multiple competitive leagues vying for quarterback talent, I I think you have to look no further than Cameron Dukes. And that's not necessarily an, an insult towards him, but he's a guy who, frankly, in past seasons, would never have been near a backup job in the CFL. Certainly not right off the bat. He's the guy who had a very prolific college career, but did so in the NAIA, which is an extremely low level of competition. Players from that level of competition very infrequently come to the CFL, let alone quarterbacks at the most important position. And then to be handed a, a number two job, as a true rookie, that is very astonishing. I think we saw in this first glimpse at Cameron Dukes that he's not quite ready for that responsibility as of yet. Yes, he has some tools. Maybe he can be developed. But this is a guy who I think in years past would have been a QB for a practice roster developmental guy. And because of the way the Argonauts have constructed their roster, you know he's going to have to being impact player for them if Chad Kelly has to miss a start 
or goes down again in the future. So that's not exactly a comfortable situation for arguably the best team in the league to be in. Well, and why wasn't Brian Scott playing? I mean, Brian Scott has been in pro football since 2017. He had a cu- cup of coffee with the BC Lions and the Edmonton Elks pre-pandemic, post-pandemic. Bring league MVP, Brian Scott. Yeah, he, he, he had some success in these upstart leagues south of the border. He's 27 years old. To me, he is a guy who is in a do-or-die situation, given the fact that he spent over a half decade in pro football. This is the guy who should be out there ready to play and show you what he is. Cameron Dukes should be the guy who's on the bench learning for at least a year. Cameron Dukes is significantly younger and has significantly less experience. So that was the other question I had. And now Ryan Dinwiddie, I think, has proven that he's a very smart quarter uh, head coach. He obviously manages his quarterbacks very well. So I fully respect his decision-making. To me, that was the head-scratcher, though, and that's something that I would have loved to have asked him post-game was why is Cameron Dukes out there and not Brian Scott? Because to me, one of these guys should be ready. I'm not going to say for prime time, but should be ready to at least show you what he is at this point. Cameron Dukes deserves more time in the oven to finish baking, so to speak. We need more opportunity for him to learn and grow and develop. I don't think giving him that game in Calgary was doing anybody any favors except for maybe the fans of the Calgary Stampeders. That's it. The Ottawa Red Blacks had the ball on Saskatchewan's one-yard line with one minute to play on Sunday when they kick, elected to kick a field goal to take a one-point lead. The Riders got the ball on their 40-yard line and pieced together a couple of quick first downs to set up Brett Lowther for a game-winning 53-yard field goal. Did the Red Blacks head coach Bob Dice make the correct decision for his team? Let me think. No! No, he did not. <laughs> Does it... This is one of the worst coaching decisions I have ever seen at any level of football, let alone in the CFL. And frankly, it's indefensible and it's cowardly, right? It's in a league where they give you a yard. You need to be able to take a yard every time, right? You have to trust in your team to be able to do that. And yes, They've been stopped in short yardage before, and I'm sure that was part of the process that went into Bob Dice's thinking. But even if Saskatchewan stops you there, pull off the heroic goal line stand and stops you, they take over at their own one-yard line. And if you're trusting your defense to make a stop and preventing them to get to the 50 to kick a field goal, why aren't you trusting them to make a stop there in the final minute at the one-yard line, which is far more likely, and the team has far fewer options, in a situation where you probably get the ball back and you're already in field goal range again. So to me, there is no excuse for this decision by Bob Dice. It makes zero sense. And the instant it happened, I knew it cost that team the game because A, you're kicking off to a returner like Mario Alford, who we all know is as dangerous as he is and was able to get them a good chunk of field position. But even if he hadn't had a strong return, the chances of Saskatchewan with a guy like Brett Brett Lawther, who we know can hit from 57 if he has to, to get into field goal range in that situation is extremely high. 
and a one point lead is virtually meaningless for your football team. It was an atrocious decision by Bob Dice. Yeah, to me, the issue was you're on Saskatchewan's one yard line and they kicked the field goal with exactly one minute and five seconds left in the game. Now they took 15 seconds off the clock. So the, oh, pardon me. No, sorry. This, this CFL connect system is confusing. So they kicked the field goal with a buck Oh five left. And then they kick off the, it says on CFL connect with 56 seconds left, but then it says the Saskatchewan Rough Riders scrimmaged with 58 seconds left. So clearly there's a mistake here, but regardless, let's, let's use the one Oh five number. If you're the Red Blacks and you try to punch it in for the touchdown and take what I guess would presumably be a five or six point lead with 105 left in the game, let's say you score it. Okay, great. Now you're forcing the Riders to to go do what they've they've really struggled to do, right? Since Mason Fine took over as the starter, though I mean credit to Fine, he was better this past game than he's been the the, the two previous. But you're forcing them to to put together a one minute touchdown drive. That's tough to do in the CFL. If you don't get it. The Riders now have the ball at their own one yard line up by two points and they have to get a first down or else they are having to punt. And when you get that punt, you're probably already in range for Lewis Ward to kick a game winning field goal. Or alternatively, if you're the the defense of the Ottawa Redblacks, you're probably in a position to get a to get a safety. Right. Whether you sack Mason fine or you catch Jamal Moore at the backfield, you could possibly get a game tying safety if you can get a tackle for loss on one of Saskatchewan's offensive plays. So, yes, the defense has to step up, get at least one stop. But at that same time, this is not a we have to score here or we lose. This was a decision for Bob Dice to say, okay, we can score the touchdown and essentially secure the win or we can fall short and still have a chance at the win. Like this was not a win or lose scenario. He could have simply chosen to to try to score the touchdown and he decided not to, which I agree JC was a mistake. Bob Dice is a rookie head coach. Yes, he's had a couple of stints as an interim guy. And yes, he's not a spring chicken. He's in his late 50s. He's a, he's an older first-time head coach, but this to me is still a bit of a growing pain. This is a moment that he's going to be able to reflect on and and by the way, I will say this too, speaking as someone who has spent a lot of time around professional football players, isn't the better thing to do 99% of the time to show your players that you believe in them? Like, like if you're an offensive player and you get down to, to third and goal from the one and you see, you see Lewis Ward trotting out to kick the field goal, what's going through your brain? What's going through your heart? It's like, man... We, we we just drove this thing all the way here. You don't trust us to get the yard, and I and I I know that the the Red Blacks had been stuffed on third down previously in the game, but but trust your team. As you said, this is the CFL. You only need one yard. You should be able to get it with the yard off the ball. Show your offense that you trust them, and if they succeed, great. Then that is a win win. You showed your team that that you trust them. Your team showed they deserve that trust. And if your team fails, you can go into the meeting room that week and be like, look, guys. I believe in you. I gave you two cracks at short yardage and you you lost both of them. So let's take a look at the mirror and get this figured out. And the players know what's on them, but don't rob them of an opportunity to prove themselves. That's why I thought the decision was poor. In addition to the possibility of tying the game on a safety or getting the ball back and kicking a game winning field goal with zeros on the clock, not enough time for the riders to get just a couple of first downs. Let's remember they got the ball in their own 40. 
they really only need 20, 30 yards to get to field goal range. It's not a lot in the CFL, especially when you're going to be playing a lot of safe coverages as a defense to prevent the deep ball. Yeah. The other thing I do want to touch on on this conversation is a lot of people, when that decision happened, compared it to the choice by Craig Dickinson, the Saskatchewan Roughriders head coach, earlier in the game to go for it on third and one in his own end, which resulted in Jake Dulligala being stopped short, Ottawa taking over and scoring in, in prime field position. And I think this is a perfect example of what I like to, to call sort of the, the contrast between execution and results and process, right? Craig Dickinson making that decision in his own end, even though we, we think of it as, you know, unusual or particularly aggressive, I think was good process, right? Again, we, we are in a league where they give you a one yard neutral zone. You should always, always, regardless of where you are on the field, be able to trust your players to get a yard, right? He did that. And frankly, a six foot seven quarterback like Jake Dolagala should get that every single time, regardless of what the offensive line does in front of him. So Craig Dickinson made the correct choice in that situation and his players failed to execute, right? That falls on their shoulders, not his. Bob Dice made the incorrect decision. His thought process was not a sound one. His players executed the play. He asked them perfectly. Lewis Warg hits that, that chip shot field goal to go up one point, but the process isn't sound. And so it costs the team. And we need to get beyond this results based thinking and, and start looking at the actual processes behind these decisions and whether or not they make statistical sense, because Frankly, going for it when you have a yard is always the right decision in this league. Unfortunately, one coach didn't get rewarded for it in this game, but the other coach certainly got punished for not making the correct choice. The New York Jets have waived former CFL quarterback Chris Strevler after he struggled in the club's first preseason outing, completing only one of seven pass attempts with the dual will the dual threat passer get another look in the NFL. I'm highly skeptical that he will. And the reason I say that is, and, and by the way, <laughs> the, the feedback to our article about Chris Treveller getting waived was a sober reminder of how many people just read the headline and not the article, because in the article, it did say, he sustained a thumb injury during that game and is out for the foreseeable future. There are also reports that now that he has cleared waivers, he is in fact not a free agent. He's on the team's injury list and could become a free agent if they reach an injury settlement. But for now, he's on the injured reserve list, though he's not listed on the team's website, which I find confusing. Admittedly, I'm not an expert on the subtle nuances of NFL roster comp. That being said, if he was on the injured reserve list, that would also put him there with another former CFL star in Deontay Spencer, which is kind of funny. But the point is Chris Treveller is not coming to the CFL next week. He's not healthy enough. He's hurt his throwing thumb. That needs to get better, regardless of what happens with him and the Jets. But 
the the bottom line is when you are a fringe NFL guy, and I think Chris Treveller, as a former undrafted player who had to go to the CFL for a couple of years before getting a chance down there and has bounced around to three different teams over the last few years, I think certainly counts as an NFL fringe guy. He is a player who I think has to essentially be perfect to stay on a team. Like you, you've got to be essentially perfect. You cannot make any mistakes. You cannot have any warts. You cannot have any lumps. And by warts and lumps, I mean you can't have injuries. You can't have off-field issues. You can't have you know mental mistakes. You can't. You, you know, there's there's a bunch of things you just can't afford to do. And going one for seven in a preseason. I mean, let's let's remember Chris Streveler was a preseason sensation. Head coach Robert Saleh called it, I believe it was the greatest preseason of all time. And they still cut him last year. They brought it back on practice roster, but they cut him. Yes, he got elevated a little bit later on in the year once it was clear the Jets were not going to make the postseason. But to me, with the warts now, with the injury, the poor performance, and this team also, let's remember, going in a completely new direction with its quarterback room, bringing in Aaron Rodgers, signing Tim Boyle, a journeyman who's probably going to be the third stringer. I think we've probably seen the last of Chris Treveller with the Jets. And I also think we've probably seen the last of Chris Treveller in the NFL. Of course, another team could pick him up. He's got fantastic, fantastic weapons in his legs. I still do not see him as a full-time starter because I don't think he throws the ball well enough to, to be considered that. But at this point in time, I think we've likely seen the last of him in the NFL, and it's possible that that'll be the CFL's gain at some point in the future. The important thing to remember is he has secured his NFL pension, which means that even if he never plays another snap in the NFL, he's got that security in retirement from the league. And at the end of the day, though, he's only thrown a handful of passes, has still had what, relatively speaking, I think is a very successful run in the league backing up a couple of of really big-time quarterbacks and getting into a number of games to make an impact. Yeah, for me, it's not so much the performance in that game because I do think that thumb injury likely played a role in that and people can understand that sort of blip on the radar. For me, it's the fact that he's going to be out for a, a portion of time and when you're not in front of those eyes, you're easily forgotten, especially when you are a fringe player like Chris Strebler. So I suspect the opportunities are going to be few, if not existent, once he is healthy again, simply because there won't be any recent tape on him and he is a back end of the roster guy. I think the more intriguing question that comes up with Chris Strebler is what happens once he's healthy and those NFL opportunities have evaporated. What decision process does he make? Because obviously this is a guy who loves the CFL, right? He greatly enjoyed his time here, won a gray cup and partied like it was 1999 with the fur coat and all that jazz, right? This is a guy who has been vocal about his love for the Canadian game and his appreciation for his time with the Bombers. But if he thinks there is a legitimate chance that he can get back to the NFL sooner rather than later, does he consider the USFL or XFL options for a season, knowing that the timeline is much quicker 
to get back to the NFL with those two leagues than it would be if he signed a CFL contract. I wonder what sorts of decisions and conversations are being had between Chris Streveler and his agent right now about what he wants to do with his football future because he can choose to go that spring football route and cling to that NFL dream or he can make the decision to think more long-term and and potentially put down some roots and try and vie to be a legitimate CFL quarterback and hopefully show up here that his ability as a passer has improved and he could be a fan favorite up here, right? But that's going to be a a choice that he has to make coming up here once that thumb is healed about what he truly wants to do with his life and his football career. Well, and I also think it's worth noting, I've been led to believe that the Bombers do not have a Chris Streveler size chunk of money available in their salary cap. They're more or less tapped out. We also know that the other coach of the CFL who worked very closely with Chris Streveler and reportedly coveted him in his role as head coach of the Ottawa Red Blacks was Paul Apolise, who's now a color commentator for TSN and doing a very good job of that. But the point is, there's no immediate landing space for Chris Streveler, at least that I can see, where he can just walk in and be like, hey, I'm Chris Streveler. I'm going to pick up right where I left off, at least north of the border. He can certainly make more money in the CFL than he would in the XFL and USFL. However, I do think that's an astute observation, JC, that could be a better place for him to at least get some film this upcoming spring if he hopes to go back to the NFL. And there's nothing saying that he can't play in one of those leagues and then come up to the CFL. We've seen that done before. Darnell Sankey's reportedly doing exactly that right now. And even guys like Colin Kelly or Herjie Mayala did that, where they became free agents in February 2023, went down south, got signed. Kelly played and was a very good XFL player. Mayala, I believe, got cut. But they're both up here now and and playing and, and doing their thing. So it's certainly a possibility. The Edmonton Elks will host the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Thursday night where they are 12 and a half point underdogs at home. Canadian quarterback Trey Ford will make his first start of the season against after Stephen McAdoo was demoted on Edmonton's coaching staff this past week. The clubs met at IG Field in week seven, which ended in a 28 to 14 win for the Blue Bombers. Can Trey Ford be the spark that Edmonton needs to strack to snap a 21 game home losing streak? I don't think it's going to be enough. And the reason is I don't see the Edmonton Elks as a dry brush pile. That's just waiting for that little spark. I instead see them as a moss covered rock in the highlands of Scotland, soaking wet from the rain. This team needs not just a spark, this team needs a stick of dynamite to get going. And Trey Ford, we know, is a fabulous runner, right? We know that he has done sensational things with his legs at the professional level and obviously at the U Sports level at the University of Waterloo. But I am highly skeptical that his supporting cast is good enough, that the game plan will be good enough. We don't know exactly what Edmonton's offense is going to look like post Stephen McAdoo, maybe Jarius Jackson is going to end up, he's been an OC in this league before, maybe he's going to end up completely turning this unit around. And frankly, it would be the best thing in the world, not just for the city of Edmonton, but for the CFL, for the Elks to shock the Winnipeg Blue Bombers this week. Unfortunately for those folks, I don't think this is going to happen. Give me the Blue Bombers, and I'm going to eat all of those points 
I'm taking them against the spread as, as well, minus 12 and a half. I think you make an astute observation, Hodge, that the Edmonton Elks are like a mossy stone in the Scottish Highlands, but Trey Ford, at the very least, is some peat, right? He's highly flammable. You can heat your home with him, right? He's a guy who is an electric athlete, and I think putting him in the lineup changes things for the Edmonton Elks. Now, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say that Edmonton is going to win that game. I am not insane. You don't have to check me in to the hospital just quite yet, Hodge. But I think Trey Ford is good enough, or at least athletic enough, for them to cover this massive point spread. Winnipeg, we all know, had an emotional victory last week. I think they're going to come out a little bit lower this week, and they have struggled in the past with running quarterbacks, with mobile guys, with athleticism. They've never faced someone who runs a 4-4. Trey Ford may only throw for 150 yards. I bet he rushes for 100 as well. I'm taking the Elks to cover and the Bombers to win this game. The Montreal Alouettes are four and a half point favorites over the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Friday night in what could be Cody Fajardo's first game against his former team. The veteran passer missed practice on Tuesday due to a shoulder injury, though head coach Jason Moss indicated it's likely that Fajardo will play. Who you got? You got the Alouettes in this one. I've become a believer in their team. I think Fajardo is going to be on the field and he actually did his best work last week after he was hurt, not before. So I fully have confidence in his ability to be effective against the Riders. I think him and head coach Jason Moss are both going to be extremely motivated for this matchup. You may see a fired up Kogi Fajardo of old, maybe running around a little bit more than we've gotten used to seeing in the last couple of years as he tries to stick it to his former team. Pick the owls here. Hey, Cody Fajardo often talks about his faith and his Christianity, and I'm pretty sure one of the tenets of that religion is forgiveness. With that being said, I feel like Cody Fajardo, as much as he is a stand-up guy who says all the right things, there surely has to be a place in his heart or in his mind where he wants some revenge on Ryder Nation. He wants to beat that team that unceremoniously cast him aside, not even after last season was done, but while the team was still mathematically eligible for the playoffs last year. Let's not forget, he was benched while the team could have still theoretically made the postseason with a home Grey Cup in 2022. I like the Alouettes more and more each time I see them. They had to get the protection going. They had to get William Stanback going. Guess what? The last two weeks they've done so. And by the way, JC, yes, this team is four and three. Not an amazing record, but their three losses have come against Winnipeg, BC, and Toronto, who have been kicking everybody else they've played, essentially, so far this season, aside from from maybe a few injuries. So to me, this team has done a great job of showing that they are able to beat middling teams or bad teams across the league consistently. I see the Riders as a middling team, so I will take the Alouettes to win and cover at home as well. 
The Calgary Stampeders will visit the BC Lions on Saturday night, where the Leos are five and a half point favorites, despite coming off a crushing loss to Winnipeg. Vernon Adams Jr. appears likely to return to the starting role after dealing with a knee injury, while Calgary is coming off a surprising win over the Toronto Argonauts. Can the Lions win and cover against the visiting Stamps? Guys, this is not even a question. The Calgary Stampeders are going to be riding high because they beat the undefeated team, but their offense is pathetic. Jake Mayer threw for 149 yards last week. That's not going to beat the BC Lions, who are going to be absolutely fired up, and they're getting back their franchise quarterback to boot who I have no doubt will be able to step seamlessly back into the lineup and light things on fire against what has been, quite frankly, a little bit of a suspect Calgary secondary at times. I'm taking the Lions. No matter what this spread is, I think it's going to be a sizable victory for BC. Yeah, I'm surprised this line is not higher. If if Vernon Adams Jr. was 100% you know, the starter and everybody knew he was healthy. I would expect this line to be at, at minus seven for the lions, even as high as maybe minus nine. So to me, minus five and a half is a very good line. There's ample opportunity there. I think for the reasons that you mentioned, I mean, I, I don't see the Calgary Stampeders as a high scoring team right now. And when these two teams met back in week one, this was at McMahon Stadium and the Lions came out with a 10 point win. So if you can win by 10 points at McMahon, surely you can win by at least five and a half in the friendly confines of BC Play Stadium where the Lions have played very well for the past season. So I like the Leos in this one for sure. The Ottawa Red Blacks will visit the Toronto Argonauts on Sunday to finish out week 10. The Argos were originally 10.5-point favorites for this game, though they have fallen to 3.5-point favorites due to the uncertainty surrounding the health of starting quarterback Chad Kelly. Can the Red Blacks shake a two-game losing streak to hand Toronto their second straight loss? The Argonauts, we're recording this on Wednesday morning, by the way. The Argonauts do not practice for the first time this week until Wednesday afternoon. And so we don't have any official updates on Chad Kelly at this point of the recording. However, if he plays, I am smashing the Toronto Argonauts at minus three and a half. I'm happy to take them up to probably minus 10. I mean, the Toronto Argonauts are going to be, I think, a very motivated team after losing a surprise game last week following Chad Kelly's injury. I, I I know the injury was obviously not serious. Had that been a playoff game, I think Chad Kelly finishes no matter what. For reasons we talked about earlier in the show, the Argos were smart for holding him out. But to me, this is a team that has to continue its winning ways to keep putting room or at least maintain their lead over the Montreal Alouettes in the East Division. They are better than Ottawa. Ottawa, I think, has really taken a step back. Since, again, Crumb Sanity set in with back-to-back wins over Winnipeg and Calgary, they have scored only 36 points over their last two games, losing to two middling teams in Hamilton and Saskatchewan. Heck, they lost to the Ticats, even though the defense got five picks. Like, I, I am not liking at all what I'm seeing from the Ottawa Red Blacks right now. I'm taking the Argos easily by three and a half. And again, up to 10, depending on how this line moves depending on Chad Kelly's health. Uh, Chad Kelly makes this a much more comfortable bet, but I really don't care 
if he plays or not, because I think the Argos win and cover this three and a half point spread, regardless of whether he's on the field or not. Now I have no faith in Cameron Dukes at the helm of the Argos offense, but this is what I know. Defenses have figured out Dustin Crum right now. And over the last two weeks, he has not taken a step forward as a passer. In fact, I think he has taken a step back. Now he's going to go up against what is one of the best defenses in the league against one of the best defensive minds in Corey Mays and a team that not only generates turnovers at a crazy rate, but also scores on defense as well. I think the Argos defense can carry the load against this Red Blacks team. I'm taking them no matter who's under center. Now time for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2019, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders defeated the Montreal Alouettes by a score of 17-10 in the CFL's first ever weather-shortened game. There were two minutes and 41 seconds left into the third quarter when play was suspended due to a lightning storm at Percival Molson Stadium, and the game never continued with the Riders being awarded the victory. The contest led to the league rewriting its weather protocol, though the game between Saskatchewan and Montreal would have been ruled the same under the new policy anyway. Now the protocol allows for games to be called depending on the point differential and how many quarters have been played. It also allows for teams to play a two-possession shootout for two points ahead of their next meeting if they are scheduled to play again that season. JC, I still want this to happen. As much as it would suck for a game to be canceled or at least postponed due to weather, could you imagine going to a game late in the season knowing that they're going to play a two-possession shootout for two points and then play an entire game? That would be electric. It would be amazing. I'm trying to think of the marketing that you could do for this, the extra advertising. It would be a tremendous opportunity for the league, even though it would suck to miss out on some regularly scheduled football. I'm, I'm on board with you, Hodge. I want this to happen. It is an exciting... Uh, prospect though again it it would be at the cost of a normal football game for for one of those two scenarios so it's interesting though and and by the way if you haven't already if you're a diehard cfl fan please go ahead and bookmark the cfl weather protocol because every like i don't know two three weeks during the summer there's a risk of lightning delay and everybody goes wait what's happening what's going just bookmark the weather policy i've done it it changed my life so so do yourself a favor bookmark the weather policy It'll change your life, too. The air quality protocol, which every week, because of wildfires, the game, someone has to put out a statement saying they're monitoring things, and you're not supposed to play past a 7 on the AQI scale. Like It's always an 8, and they're playing anyway. That's what I want to have bookmarked and get some answers about. Well, the weather protocol does not have to do with wildfire smoke so i guess they have some leeway there but you are right that is interesting that there is a cap and several games uh, appear to have been played over that cap i guess just because people don't care but uh, who's to say it's now time for the three minute drill the cfl finds six members of the bc lions for celebrating a week eight touchdown in a fan seating area at commonwealth stadium in edmonton was that the right choice 
it's the correct choice based on the league rules. But is it the right choice? No, these types of celebrations are fantastic. It's already punishable if you, you know, get into it with an opposing fan. And there was nobody in those seats in Commonwealth Stadium anyway. This was a fun thing by the BC Lions. It got some traction online. And the league has a little bit of egg on its face for punishing that. It's not a good look. Just get rid of this rule and stop fining teams for celebrating in that section that is readily accessible and right now very, very empty. Longtime CFL kicker Zinan Andrushin passed away at the age of 76 this past week. What do you know about the veteran specialist? About Zinan Andrushishin? I know how to say his name. <laughs> I. I <laughs> I'm going I'm to be honest with you. I didn't think that was my thing before we read this podcast. I didn't get a chance to practice. And now I'm embarrassed, Hodge. I hope you're happy now. It's all good. What I know about Andrew Shishin is he still has the CFL record for the longest punt in CFL history at 108 yards, which is sensational. I believe Chris Milo tied it about a, about a decade ago, but... But Andrew Sishin, he, he had a, an amazing life. Obviously, condolences to his family and friends, former teammates, for his loss. But born in Germany, you know, moved to Oakville, Ontario. It was a walk-on at UCLA and ended up getting drafted by the NFL. A pretty amazing life, if you ask me. Markeith Ambles signed with the Calgary Stampeders after being released by the Toronto Argonauts. Is that a good fit for the veteran receiver? I think it's a great fit. Obviously, he's very... Uh, familiar with the organization having played there before and Calgary has had some injury issues in their receiving core this season if another guy goes down Ambles can step right in and be a very effective weapon for them former Saskatchewan Rough Riders linebacker Samuel Aguavin has signed with the New York Jets can he make an impact with the team I think he can. The NFL does not have the same importance placed on special teams as we do north of the border. That being said, Aguavin, I think, has done enough defensively to get some reps there. And I think on special teams, he's going to be one of the best in the biz. The Chicago Bears signed linebacker Barrington Wade, who was released by the Winnipeg Blue Bombers during training camp. What does that say about the talent level of the NFL versus the CFL? Well, I, I think it proves definitively that they are much more similar than the average fan would have you believe. And frankly, this happens a couple times a season where a guy who's a back-end player on a CFL roster or a guy who can't even make a CFL team signs in the NFL. And the reality is these top 10% of NFL players, they're in a different stratosphere, right? They're above... The average NFL player, they're elite superstars, they're freak athletes, they're well beyond anyone in the CFL. But everyone else, it comes down to fit and opportunity. And while there is differences in talent, there's a lot more mix and match meshing in the middle than people realize. The talent level in the CFL is very similar to that on the back end and middle end of NFL rosters. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers are adding James Mercy Murphy to the team's ring of honor at IG Field. Is he a worthy selection, Hodge? He is. Admittedly, he's before my time, but at the same time, 
Murphy completely wrote the Bombers receiving record book before Milt Siegel then came along a generation later and rewrote it. That obviously means that Siegel is the number one receiver in franchise history, but James Murphy is clearly number two. Um, with all due respect to Joe Poplowski, Rick House, some of the other names that have come through, absolutely deserving. Something I am surprised about, still no Charles Roberts on the Ring of Honor in Winnipeg. Recently retired Canadian defensive end Kwaku Boateng has become the new defensive line coach at his alma mater of Wilfrid Laurier. Is that a surprise? It's not a surprise at all. It's an excellent hire by the Golden Hawks, right? Kwaku Boateng not only has been a fantastic pass rusher, he's already done a lot of work coaching young defensive linemen. Sacks for racks, I believe, is his uh, coaching uh, enterprise defensive line training company that he runs he does an excellent job with that teaching young pass rushers now he can help the next generation at laurier be just as effective as his generation which not only included him but also had guys like robbie smith who continue to have an impact in the cfl Michael O'Shea, the son of Winnipeg Blue Bombers head coach Mike O'Shea, has committed to the University of Manitoba Bisons after tearing it up for two seasons with the Okanagan son of the CJFL. Is that a good fit? It is. I think that the, the Bisons really needed to add some depth to that receiving core behind a guy like A.K. Gazama who was a first-team All-Canadian this past year. He's a great deep threat. They need a possession guy who can go into some of the dirty areas and make some of those key second-down catches. To me, Michael O'Shea fits that 100%. Plus, he might be able to bring something to the return game. He was great as a returner with the Sun. It's just a question of whether or not he'll get the chance to return because we know how valuable he's going to be to them on offense. A sheep got loose during halftime of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders win over the Ottawa Red Blacks. Had you ever seen a sheep run up and down a football field before? What in the prairie nonsense is this? Does it look like I've seen a lot of sheep out here on the West Coast? I'm, <laughs> I'm too busy looking at the beautiful ocean and the mountains. I don't have time for sheep on my football fields. This was a classic moment of Canadiana. It was deeply, deeply funny. And I'm so glad I got to witness it happen this weekend. Teresa Hansen is no longer the athletic director at Simon Fraser University in what the school called a mutual agreement. Is that a surprise? This is not remotely surprising. There have been a number of issues with SFU's athletics department as a whole, most recently with the sudden cancellation of the football team, which led to the filing of an injunction and now an independent individual coming in as a consultant to determine the future of this program is not at all surprising that Teresa Hansen is no longer with SFU. On that note, we thank you as always for listening to the Three Donation Podcast. Please join us next week for another episode.